Well, we are talking about death to life, and today we move to the burial of Jesus. You want to turn to Mark 15, Mark 15, the burial of Jesus. Uh, we dealt last week with the death of Jesus. Of course, next Sunday, we're going to, Sunday's coming, we're going to deal with the resurrection of Jesus, and I'm excited. I'm also excited about our Palm Sunday picnic, our families and kiddos, uh, those that will be there. You be praying for that endeavor as uh, we reach out to our community. I thought today I'd start with a poem. Never done that before here. You didn't know that's a thing, did you? You didn't know. You, you didn't know. You're looking at a poet. You're not looking at a poet, but I thought I'd start with that today. Are you ready? There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang or prayed. And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claim he never died. Now think about it. That's not a funny thing, but it's a profound thing to think about. I want you to think about that. He never did anything. So did he ever really live? Did he really die? You see, we're going to talk today a little bit about the remarkable. We're going to talk about risk, what it means to risk for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be that hard for us to consider that. Would you agree with that? I think he risked something. He said, not my will to the Father, but your will be done. And he died. And he died for us. That would be the ultimate risk. I think. So we're going to look at that today. I think the biblical example of risk that I always think about is Esther. Do you remember the Old Testament figure, Esther? Do you remember? She became Queen Esther, but not at first, right? And you remember the plan. If you don't, you can go read that. But this a plan to, to hurt and do horrible things to her people, and she took a risk as a woman. She asked and went in and spoke to the king who had all the power on behalf of her people and her God. And God moved. And it's an amazing story, I think, of her. Someone has said that there are two kinds of people in the church. Have you heard of that? Not Democrats and Republicans. I'm not saying that, all right? There's risk takers and there's caretakers. Have you ever heard of that? In fact, there's a term out there. Uh, those in the, in, in the business of churches and things like that, there are what are called caretaker churches. And they never risk anything. They're okay just to do this. And eventually there'll be ten of them left and then five and they'll have to give the church away to someone else. So there's two kinds of people in the church, risk takers and caretakers. I love this quote. If the risk takers in the church are fueled by the caretakers, they will all go to the undertaker with little to show for their lives. I don't want to be that person. What about you? I don't want to end my life and go to the undertaker and there's no evidence that risk and that God worked in my life, little to show. I'm going to give you a secular quote, I don't do it very often, playwright Neil Simon. Some of you know him or knew of him. He said this, if no one ever took risks, Michelangelo would have painted the Sistine floor. Think about that for a minute. Some of y'all don't get that, okay? There's a chapel over there, and there's a, one of the wonders of the world almost, you know, and there's the, anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all slept during school, I'm telling you, all right. But think about that. Risks are involved in all kinds of areas of life. 
Um, and, and there's times that God calls us to do uh, the remarkable. I, I thought about when Lynn and I went to seminary. You've heard my story, running from the call of God. I want to be a college professor, teacher, all that kind of stuff. Ran from what God had called me into vocational ministry and uh, finally submit to go to seminary. There were risks involved. We were down in Carlsbad. I had been to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary one time to check it out. Lynn had not even been. And all of a sudden, we take all that we had, not much, and we head to Fort Worth, not knowing anyone, no jobs, all those kind of things. And of course, God blessed. We had had a miscarriage, and while in Fort Worth in seminary, we're blessed with our firstborn son, and uh, had a great experience at seminary. Got involved in ministry at a church outside of Fort Worth in Stamford, Texas. Got jobs. Um, the Lord provided. Ate a lot of beans, you know, those kind of things, right? Some of y'all been there? Yeah. But there's risk. You see, there, what if God is calling you today for something remarkable? I'm not saying for sure that he is. I'm not God. But what if he is? I need us to know something as we look at the scripture today. The remarkable will always involve risks. Are you hearing me? It will always involve risks. What does it mean to take a risk for something or someone? Well, the definition of that is it means to expose yourself to danger, harm, or loss. That's a risk. It doesn't mean that is always going to happen, but you're exposing yourself to danger, risk, or loss. And as we look at the burial of Jesus today, we're going to come across a person that maybe you haven't thought a lot about who took a great risk. So today we pick up the story, Jesus has died, but he's still on the cross. Remember that part of the story? Let's look at Mark 15, verse 42 through 47. When it was already evening, because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself, I never know how to say that word. Some believe it's Sanhedrin and some believe it's Sanhedrin. Let's take a vote. Sanhedrin, bunch of Baptists, Sanhedrin. Okay, the last group may be correct, but I, I stumble on the word. I know what the word is, okay? It's Sanhedrin. All right, so let's, sorry, that was a squirrel. You know how that, have you noticed I, squirrels come? By me every now and then. Let's try verse 43 again. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went into Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Jesus. To Joseph, I mean, excuse me. I wanted to say something there. The word corpse, you see that? There, and, and we may talk about it a little bit next week. I just don't know how much time we have. But I've identified at least either, either 12 or 14 theories that try to explain away 
that Jesus really died. Of course, the swoon theory is the most, import, uh, most uh, prominent one. There's a lot of other ones. But look right here. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. Study that word and look at that word. It, 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 it's not that difficult. Jesus is dead, okay? And then we move on. After he bought some fine linen, he took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he placed him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where he was placed. Lord, we pray that we would have open, open hearts today and, and ears to hear and eyes to see and that you might speak a very special word, a very customized, customized word to each one of us today, whether online or here in the room this morning, that we would be impacted today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Don't you love scripture? Isn't it great? Even some, just to even read something that we've read many times, it's just so exciting. So let's look at four things today. In verse 42, the first one, I ask a question simply, why the hurry? What's the big hurry? What's the deal with verse 42? Well, let's remember, it is now past 3 p.m. on a Friday. Are you good? Are you there? And you know Friday. If, you, if you're in the workforce, you know nothing gets done Friday afternoon after 3, Hardy, right? Everybody's ready to go home. But here, it's Friday. It's just past 3 p.m. Jesus has died Friday, we know from this scripture and other places and, and, and in reading that it was the day of preparation for the Sabbath. You've heard of the Sabbath? I hope you have. Why is that the day of preparation for the Sabbath? Because strict Jewish law said once that the Sabbath began, no work could be done. Are you aware of that? No work could be done, including the burial of the dead. See, the Sabbath was the day of worship, and it would begin about 6 p.m. You need to remember something. People get so confused these days. Their day was sundown to sundown. We could say 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. That's not how our day works, right? When does our day start? Right after midnight? Some of y'all said about 9.30 after I have coffee. No, it, <laughs> Right? Our, 1201, isn't it? Or 12 and then a few seconds. You know how that works. But here, you need to picture this. When Friday at 6 hits, the day of preparation is done, and then Friday at 6 to Saturday at 6, sundown to sundown, that's the Sabbath, okay? So time is running out. There's just a few hours left. Now, normally, the Romans either dumped the bodies of crucified criminals in trash heaps. Picture that. Or sometimes they left the bodies on the cross. Why? So the vultures and animals could pick at the corpses and consume them. It was a graphic example that the Romans wanted to share with whoever had anything to do with crime or criminals or these people. But not so with the Jews. Let's go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21, the first part of verse 23. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says this. You are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. And I want you to hear this phrase. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. That was their law, their background. 
But the question I have is, where's Jesus' family? Have you ever asked that or thought that? This Joseph guy enters, but where's Jesus' family? Where are the disciples? They're not there. Now, we know Jesus made sure that his mother had the continual care of a loving son after his death. John? Okay, John was to care for her. But I still ask you, where is everyone? They're gone. They're not there. A criminal's unmarked grave appears to be the final humiliation for Jesus. Who can help? Yet, something remarkable is about to happen. Something remarkable is about to occur. And it would be a great risk with a very tight timeline. So let me ask you a question here today. When's the last time you took a risk for God? Don't raise your hand. Just think about it. When's the last time I didn't say serve him, I didn't say come to church, I didn't say read your Bible. That's not very risky, sitting at home reading your Bible. When's the last time you, not your family member, not your pastor, not whatever, when's the last time you took a risk for God? You see, taking a risk for God involves urgency. There was hurry here. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is if you're going to take a risk for God, you, you, you can't. You shouldn't put it off. Don't put, if God has called you to something, don't put it off. So let's move on to verse 43, second point. Who was this guy? Okay, why the hurry, but who was this guy? We, we see that his name is Joseph of Arimathea. And he enters the picture. Who was he? I'm going to go through real quick who he was. You're going to have to write references fast if you want them. First of all, we know he's from Arimathea. He's now a citizen of Jerusalem. He obviously had bought a tomb in Jerusalem for his burial. Mark, in this passage right here, tells us he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, the powerful ruling council of the Jews. In Luke chapter 23, we find out he was a good and righteous man, Luke 23. Back in the passage we've read today, he is waiting for the kingdom of God. That's a good thing, right? Matthew 27, we read that he was rich. Back in Luke 23, we are told that he, this is interesting, he did not vote to crucify Jesus. He did not vote in the affirmative there. And perhaps most telling or most insightful for me me comes from John chapter 19 when we read in verse 38 that Joseph, he was a disciple but a secret one. Have you read that verse? It says he feared his fellow Jews. Very interesting. So I would summarize it this way. As many people are, he was a closet Christian in my opinion. If you put all those things together. And I would ask you today, what about you? Are you a closet Christian today? Let me ask you a question. I got a lot of cool questions today. I'm sorry. Let me ask you this question. Who knows that you are a Christian? If I went and talked to your family, would they know that you're a Christian? I don't mean just in your home. I mean even your extended family. Would they know you're a Christian? If I went and asked friends and acquaintances of you, would they know that you are a Christian? 
How about this one? If I went, and this is a tough one for all of us, if I went and asked your neighbors, would they know that you are a Christian? It's a good question to ask. Here we have this guy. He makes it into Scripture. In, in the most crucial of times in Scripture, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and he's a closet Christian according to Scripture, the Gospel of John. But now something happens. Now, the passage we just read today, he is risking. He is risking his reputation. He is risking his powerful position. It is evident to me that there has been and there is growth in his faith. He knew there was more to life than this life. Well, how can you say that, Lamar? Look at the scripture. Look at the verse right there. He was looking forward to the kingdom of God. Imagine this. I want you to listen closely. Turn up the hearing aids if you got them. All right. Listen closely. He, imagine the faith that is required to believe that a dead body on a cross is the key to eternal life. Let me say that again. Imagine the faith that is required to believe that a dead body on a cross is the key to eternal life. His faith is surging. What he was asking here took boldness. You see, his faith, would, he would no longer be a secret Christian, a closet Christian. His faith now, at this instant, becomes very public. He would now identify himself as a sympathizer with Jesus, who, by the way, had just been crucified on a criminal's cross. And there's more. The fact that he would be willing to handle Jesus' dead body would also make him ceremonial, un, ceremonially unclean and therefore disqualified for worship on the Sabbath. That's just hours away. Yet he was all in. Can I tell you something? That's my kind of guy. That's my kind of Christian. It doesn't matter the past. It doesn't matter what you have done in the past. I mean, it may matter with the law, the authorities and stuff, but with God, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you've been a closet Christian or a secret Christian. What matters is now, uh, are you willing to do the remarkable? Are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to be bold? Are you willing to be courageous? I love those kind of people. I love those kind of Christians. And he's all in. How can you say, Lamar, that he's all in? Well, you see what he's done. But I want you to look at one, in, uh, one little word in verse 43, right at the end. He says he's looking forward to the kingdom of God. He came and boldly went into Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. That's an interesting word. As you know, our English words don't always do well with the biblical language. That word means begged. There's another thing that that word means. Are you ready? Craved. It gives the idea of a craving. That's how bold he was to go and ask for Jesus' body. Everything was in jeopardy. And yet here is this guy who is left from being secret about his faith, fearing the other Jewish leaders. He didn't want to be crucified. And then now he is, everything's in jeopardy. It's all public. So I asked the question, as I read this again and again, I asked this question, what had changed? Do you know what has changed? 
We just sang about it. It's the cross that changed him. The cross changed his perspective. He saw the cross. He saw all the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus as he died on the cross. And I want to ask you today, have you been impacted by the cross of Jesus Christ? I'm talking about beyond salvation. Have you been impacted? Does the cross still stir you? Is it something you wear around your neck? Is it something you might have a Christian t-shirt on the back? There's a verse about it and there's a little cross in your t-shirt. But does it really stir you? Does it stir me? Will it cause us to move out of the shadows of secrecy and propel us into a life of bold discipleship? The cross can do that. The cross is the greatest faith strengthener I know. Amen? It is. It is the greatest thing. And yet it's so commonplace with us because we know the story. Some of us were in Sunday school and we learned all that and we just, we know it. But it can impact us so much and it impacts him. Let's move on, verses 44 and 45. Courage is needed. Remember, Joseph had requested Jesus' body. Do you mean, what, who's, from whom? Guy named Pilate. Pilate is a pagan government official. And scripture makes it clear, if you'll read all the Gospels, he was wearied. He was wearied by this whole situation. He might call it a circus even, right? Well, I give you Barabbas. No, they want Jesus. What did Pilate even do? He was so frustrated with all this, he washed his hands from all of this. He, of all people to go to go ask, but this is what Joseph did. What courage is there? Now let's say a few things about Pilate from these verses. Verse 44, the scripture tells us that Pilate was surprised that Jesus was already dead. Did you catch that? Actually, the word is better interpreted. He was astonished that Jesus was already dead. Why? Well, the Romans, let's not forget the Romans, they had perfected crucifixions. They perfected it in this way, that it would be painful and that it would continue to be painful. And they had a way of doing this, of killing someone, and keeping the criminal alive for many hours, sometimes, are you ready for this? Many days. You can go read the historical accounts. They're right there. So Pilate is, is astonished that this could happen. What, he's dead already? Also in verse 44, the scripture tells us that Pilate investigated. How did he do that? By asking the centurion, remember him from last week? And his testimony about Jesus? Asking the centurion if Jesus had died yet. Of all people who would know, it would be that guy. Then in verse 45, the centurion confirmed that Jesus was dead to make sure that Jesus was dead. Do you remember in the John Gospel, chapter 19, what happened? What did they do to Jesus to check and see if he was dead? They took a spear and they jabbed it into his side. And guess what? The blood and water came pouring out. You see, the blood, and I'm not a doctor, okay? I have a son who is, though. The blood and water had already started separating which was a clear sign of death. There was no doubt that Jesus was dead. And then also in verse 45, Pilate does something amazing. This is unbelievable. He simply says, look at it. He gave 
the corpse to Joseph. This is remarkable that he would give Jesus' body to courageous Joseph. Why? There's no conditions. There's no fees. Do you know? They could require fees. They could require all kinds of things of people who wanted that body, a family member or whoever, because Jesus, in the law's eyes, was considered a criminal, falsely accused. And he just gives the corpse to Joseph. You see, coming to Pilate took courage. For us today, I believe we need that same thing. Doing what God wants us to do, what he has called us to do, takes boldness. There is risk. I thought about this verse. You may want to jot it down. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. It's one of my favorite verses on courage. And it's pretty blunt. Okay? Ladies, don't get upset. I'm reading scripture, okay? I didn't say it. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Be strong. Your every action must be done with love. How's that for a command? How's that for courageous? And the prayer for us today should be, God, give us courage. God, give us boldness. Let's move on to verse 46. This is something I really want you to think about. We're going to camp on this for just a few minutes. Doing the remarkable, the risky, what God has called us to do, doing the remarkable leads to bold sacrifices. Bold sacrifices. Remember earlier when I asked, have you ever taken a risk for God? The question today could be, have you ever sacrificed for him? I want you to see the many different sacrifices that, have, that has happened here in Mark with Joseph, also in the other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. The first one is financial. Do you see the financial sacrifice? Here is the phrase from the scripture we just read. He bought some fine linen. Do you see that in your scripture? He bought some fine linen. The method of burial in those days was to wrap a body in cloth and mix spices with the wrapping to help alleviate the smell of a rotting corpse. And of course, we know in John's gospel, there was another secret guy. You remember Nick at night? Came to Jesus at night? Nicodemus? He brought the spices, okay? So this linen is called fine linen. Linen. It spoke of, I cannot talk today, man. It spoke of wealth. We might say today that Joseph did not put Jesus in some cheap casket, but in the finest available. Financial sacrifice. Of course, we could talk about the tomb that he had. Financial sacrifice. Secondly, emotional sacrifice. Here's a phrase that most of us have missed every time we have read this passage. It's a simple phrase. It says this, he took him, Jesus, down. Have you ever just passed over that? Come on, I have. You passed over that? Do you see the emotional sacrifice? Imagine, if you will, for a moment, removing the king of kings from a cross. We have sanitized the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, so much. Now, maybe not with guys this, but by the time guys and gals are about this big, they should begin to learn that it was real and the significant, the horror, the graphic 
gruesome details of the cross. And I can't even picture me going and taking my King of Kings and Lord of Lords off of a cross. First of all, I have to lift this heavy cross out of its hole. He had to lay it down. And then he began to have to do what? Pull out five-inch spikes from Jesus' wrists and his feet. Can you imagine? And then removing the crown of thorns that had pla been placed on Jesus' head and how Jesus had been mocked with that. Can you picture what that would be like for a follower of Christ? It took emotional sacrifice. And then he is touching, he is holding the shredded body of Jesus, beat within an inch of death by the Roman soldiers, whipped. They were so good at this church, weren't they? They knew how many times they could whip the person, and if it was one more, it would have killed them, and they stopped. I, can you picture that? He took him down. Emotional sacrifice. There's also a time sacrifice. He, the scripture says he wrapped him in the linen. Took time. Remember, they were under a time crunch. The body is taken by two men. The body is bathed, according to Jewish custom. It's wrapped in the linen between the folds of which the spices are placed, finally bound with strips of cloth. It's the Jewish manner of burying. What would we say today? Kind of like a mummy, could we say that today? Go read John 11, you'll get an idea. Remember Lazarus and how he died and then come forth? That gives you a good picture of what this was like. It took time. There's also personal sacrifice. Two phrases here. The first one is this. He placed him in a tomb cut out of the rock. I see personal sacrifice here. So the body would be placed in a, a, a tomb that's been hewn out of the rock. There would be a stone shelf. If you go to Israel, go to the garden tomb, you can see that. You can actually step in and look at that, and you can see how that would be. I want to tell you something, though. That type of tomb was not for everyone. That was an expensive tomb to get something like that. And in Matthew's account, we see that it clearly was Joseph's new tomb. Matthew says that. Can you imagine? That's personal sacrifice. But I want to tell you something beyond personal sacrifice. It's prophecy that is fulfilled. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah 53 verse 9 says this, talking about Jesus. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. Amen? But he was buried like a criminal. And he was put in a rich man's grave. Prophecy fulfilled. It's a personal sacrifice. He placed him in the tomb, his, his tomb, cut out of the rock. And then we see the last action there, he rolled a stone against the entrance. We'll talk about a little bit more of that next week. But Matthew's account, Matthew calls it a great stone. The word is megas. You can probably figure out what that means. It means large. You ever use the word mega? We use it all the time, don't we? Mega this and mega that. All right, big, huge, okay? It's a two-ton rock, approximately, and it would have been rolled down a slight incline to come and rest in front of the tomb entrance. And Matthew adds something else. Matthew tells us that Pilate, the Roman government official, put his official seal on this stone and even stationed 
soldiers to guard the tomb. What great personal risk Joseph took. I want to tell you something. It should be obvious to us. Taking a risk for God involves sacrifice. And the question for us today is, are we willing? Now, before you say, oh, yes, I'm willing, let me tell you what it will cost. It may require giving and generosity. It may be emotionally challenging and even messy. It may necessitate an adjustment of our routines. It may involve various levels of personal involvement and sacrifice. I want to go back just for a second to an adjustment in our routines. Do, do you know what I think is the least amount of sacrifice of all these for us today, Christians today? Time. Do you know what pastors right now, if, if I got them all together and we met and we had a little, uh, what do you call that, a little round table, a little uh, panel? If they were honest, they would all say one of the greatest hindrances to revival in America is Christians will not make a time sacrifice. And you go, wait a minute, I'm sitting right here. Listen, the floor, the basement to me is you join in corporate worship every week and you go to a Sunday school class, a group every week. That's the basic. It's all this other stuff. Listen, the affluence of America has hit us so strongly that I have seen some of the greatest servants of God retire, and they deserve it. They worked hard, and they deserve it. But they retire, and they might as well disappear when it comes to Christian service, doing work in the kingdom of God. I just went to meddling, didn't I? I know you worked hard for that. And I know God has blessed you, but if, if Christians who should have the time are gone all the time, they don't have the time. They don't make a sacrifice. And lest you think I'm picking on our retirees, let me talk to those of you with families and kids. I've heard it said so many times that I cannot do this or that, I cannot give a time sacrifice because the kids are doing this, this, and that. Really? Is that the most important thing? Do you realize, and I've done it before when I wasn't preaching on a Sunday, if you drove through some of the parks of Albuquerque, do you know what you would see right now? You would see thousands of burkenos and their children playing soccer in all of our parks. I like soccer. Two of our kids played it. It's really good sport if you get down there and not on TV, but if you get down there and see it. And I appreciate people doing things with their kids. If it takes the time away, do you see what I'm getting at church? It is the greatest hindrance, I think. I really do. I think some will make personal sacrifice. Some are willing to even make emotional sacrifice. Some are willing to make financial sacrifice. But sometimes it doesn't work if we don't make the time sacrifice. And I want to tell you, it's, it, it's not my job to try to make you work for the church. That's not what I'm saying. But if we do not have the time to serve in the kingdom of God, what good is it? How are we going to impact this city? How are we going to impact this world? So please help me out. 
Help your pastor be less frustrated and really think about that for a minute. I'm going to tell you, in two weeks, we're going to have a thing called Servant Sunday. We're going to give an opportunity for the church to step up. I know many of you are serving, some of you in multiple ways, but there's many people who are not. We're going to give opportunities and show ways that people can serve in the kingdom of God right here at Hoffmantown. I just think it's so important. Remember, it takes sacrifice to be risky for God. Giving, generosity, emotionally challenging, messy, adjustment to our routines. Hmm, are we ready? I want to close in this way. I believe some Christians, hear me, are often afraid of what might go wrong instead of being excited about what could go right. Does that resonate with you a little bit? Too many Christians, we are glass half what? Empty people instead of glass half full people. You can't take a risk if you're worrying about what might go wrong. Instead, risk takers for Jesus are thinking what could go right. It's time for us to take a risk to do the remarkable task God is calling us to do. We should willingly obey. Why? After all, Jesus died for us. Jesus was buried for us. And if Joseph could come around and take a risk, every believer of God right here today in 2022 could do that as well. I just want to mention verse 47. Some of you guys are like, we've we got to get every verse in. We read it, we've got to get it in, right? I just want to say one thing about that again, just like we said last week. Look at the people. People are watching. People are watching. People are waiting. They are looking to steal from Greg Laurie again. Sometimes we have to be win some to win some. Will we do it? Something that has helped me is a quote from John Ortberg. I know everything's not perfect about John Ortberg, but he has some really good things, and I want to read this to you. Fear and growth go together like macaroni and cheese. Thank you for giggling. Appreciate that. It's a package deal. The decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. This means that to be a follower of Jesus, you must, are you ready? Renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. Folks, I, I'll be transparent. I struggle with that. I struggle with renouncing comfort. You know why? Comfort is nice. It feels good, right? I mean, it tastes good, too. It's just great. But we need to take a risk. Perhaps today, maybe you need to go public with your private faith. Maybe if we asked your neighbors or your friends and associates, if you're a Christian, maybe they'd say, oh, no. Maybe it's time to go public. For some of you today, you don't have a private faith or a public faith. You have not yet repented of your way of life. You have not yet repented, which means turned. You have not turned from your sin and run to Jesus. And I'm reminded of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus. It's a gift. We can repent and run to it. So that we would not, that we would be able to believe have faith and not perish, but have eternal life. 
So maybe you need to go public with your private faith. Maybe you need a faith at all. I would encourage you to consider that this morning. Perhaps some need to rearrange financial priorities. Perhaps many of us need to sit down and share with somebody about Jesus and about how he's changed our lives. So become a follower. If you're a follower, become a public follower. Take risk. Be part of the remarkable that God calls us to. I love Joseph because of the transformation that took place in his life. And let us not forget, it was ugly and gruesome and dangerous and real, this death and burial. Let's pray. Lord, speak to our hearts right now in this time of response. I would just pray and ask God that those who need to follow Christ would consider that right now this morning. God, I pray that you would prompt them to receive your gift of salvation in their life. I pray for others that they would mark this day, April 10th, 2022, as a day when they determined in their heart following you to take a risk for you. God, customize it. Speak to us however you would like. In the name of Jesus. We pray, amen.